This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Neek Koski of Common Ground Coffee Shop and Will Swanson of Mom's Grocery Store. Both Neek and Will have battled with the corporate powers that sought to leave them at best miserable and at worst unemployed. If you've been keeping up with local and national news, you'll know there's a huge wave of activity surrounding labor and unions. And on this episode, you'll hear two local stories of workers fighting back against the machine and winning. By the time I had this episode edited and ready for publishing, my entire intro was dated, and that's a good thing. Two weeks ago, the United Auto Workers were on strike with over 8,000 workers walking off the job. They signaled to the big three automakers their refusal to put their physical and mental health on the line while being paid a pittance. I'm sure they were thinking, if I'm going to destroy my body working here, can I at least make enough to afford the funeral? As you're listening to this now, though, news has already hit the streets that Ford, GM, and Stellantis have reached tentative agreements with the UAW, potentially ending unprecedented strikes against some of the largest corporations in the world. The deal still has to be ratified, and it may even be ratified by the time this episode is out, but the lesson we can learn from this strike is twofold. First, there's strength in numbers, always. Second, the longer someone works at a company, the power dynamic shifts. When you interview for a job, the company has the power to make or break your future. But once you work there long enough and you hold a certain amount of institutional knowledge, the company needs you and they don't want you to leave. Luckily for us, this labor fever sweeping the nation isn't just for blue-collar workers. The FTC proposed a rule to ban non-compete clauses, asserting that they hurt the economy. And if you think about it, at best, non-compete clauses retain talent and at worst, keep talent from going to a competitor and using that institutional knowledge. Either way the house wins. I could go on and on and turn this intro into an episode itself, but the important thing here is the nation's relationship with work and labor is experiencing seismic shifts. Like tectonic plates under the earth's crust, the movement is slow and grinding, but over time they produce miraculous effects that leave the landscape forever changed. Here in Baltimore, we're having our own seismic shifts in our labor landscape, and that's what the live show at Red Emma's was about. Two stories of workers who had the audacity to stand up to corporate power and fight for a better future. We start with Neek Koski of Common Ground Coffee Shop, then we'll hear from Will Swanson of Moms in Hamden. So let's go ahead and jump right into the questions. We're going to start with Neek first because the news and action with Common Ground is, is more recent. Uh, but Will, you are no less important, so we'll, we'll get to you uh, as well. Uh, so, Nick, can you take us through the first minutes and hours when staff found out that Common Ground was permanently closed by the former owner? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and thank you for having us on tonight. Um, so, uh, the leading up or the day of of the uh, the closure uh, was really like any other day. I think it was like pretty normal. Um, I was in Common Ground as my day off, but I was there. Uh, talking with a couple of our regulars. Um, we we're actually talking a little bit about um, our union drive that we had going on there. Um, so if you don't know, at Common Ground, before the closure, uh, we were in the middle of a union drive under uh, the name Common Ground Workers United. And uh, 
with that, you know, we were we were trying to make improvements to our workplace, and uh, we had you know very strong support in our workplace for that. Um, but uh, you know, this sudden closure, I don't think, was something that we anticipated happening. Um, so that was like definitely came as a big shock. Um, yeah, but so as the day was going on, I was. Um, talking with a couple of the regulars about stuff, and then uh, later had an organizing meeting with uh, one of my coworkers, some co-organizers, and uh, we were talking about strategy for organizing, and a big thing I think we were starting to transition to was uh, a push for trying to get more community support, um, which we thought would really strengthen our union drive, and uh, I think we didn't quite realize how quickly that would soon materialize. Um, but uh, we started to have the foundation, like building the foundations of building that community support, um, which ended up being like very crucial to our later success. Um, and then, so later on in the day, I was at another, I was at an event. Um, so I'm also a member of the Baltimore branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And I was out there with some other unions, some other organizers. We were talking about, you know, this kind of same issues all together, other organizing going on in Baltimore. And I got a call from my coworker saying that, uh, you know, the store just closed down. And uh, that was kind of hard to make sense of in the moment. You know, I didn't expect that at all. Nobody really did. Uh, and so basically what would happen, what happened was we got a message from the owner at 6 p.m. that day and we closed at 3 p.m. So it was just three hours after we closed and uh, saying, you know, don't return to work the next day. Uh, that was about it. And so from that moment of being notified of the closure, is the moment that we also started organizing our response, what we were gonna do next. So we decided we were gonna meet up the next, very next morning instead of returning to work and figure out what we were gonna do, uh, which included things like making a public statement, uh, starting to raise some funds for each other now that we were all suddenly unemployed and definitely, you know, unemployment insurance is, you know, very difficult to navigate, to say the least. And um, yeah, and I think just having this prior organization uh, beforehand through the union struggle uh, and organization was very crucial to our um, success and like the next steps. Okay, uh, and since that day, because I think that happened about two or three months ago at, that, at this point, um, has the Former owner, or I, I don't really know how to characterize or describe him, but his name is Michael Krupp. Uh, has he given any explanation for why he abruptly closed? Uh, do you or others have like their speculations or their theories? Like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna generally assume it's because y'all were thinking about unionizing, but what, what would you say? Yeah, um, so we were never given any like official explanation. Um, of course, you know, a lot of people started speculating right away and sort of heard different secondhand accounts of what happened. Um, as a group, we decided that it made the most sense not to speculate, but rather to just sort of state the facts of what we knew was going on and let people draw their own conclusions from there. Um, so of course, you know, the big thing being that we were in the middle of a union drive um, and we were, you know, had a strong support, like I said. We uh, 
we're about to actually like I think win some kind of big demands and um, that was like the lead up to what happened and um, another I think important thing uh, fact is just that this sort of situation and how it played out is not like an uncommon sort of series of events. Um, even just a month after we closed, the nearby Busboys and Poets also closed down. Um, and they were, I think, uh, based on what was reported, uh, planning a strike. I think they were in the middle of a union drive. Uh, so, you know, it's just something that uh, when people are organizing, trying to improve their work conditions, that is going against, I mean, that is of course in their interests, the interests of the workers, but it's against the interests of the owners, the bosses, and uh, you know, that's, that's a response that sometimes happens. Yeah. Were there any warning signs in the weeks or months leading up to the closure that had to you know, fast track your union efforts or it just kind of like took everybody by surprise? I think it took everybody by surprise. Um, there, there wasn't really any indication that I would see. I think it was, it was a risk that people were aware of is like a, is a real thing. And we were willing, you know, the people who were organizing, we were willing to take risks to try and improve our work conditions for ourselves and our fellow workers. Uh, and you know, what, what happened was, kind of just, yeah, out of our hands, not really something we can control. Okay. Um, as mentioned before we started the uh, panel discussion, Red Emma's is also a worker-owned or worker cooperative uh, organization. And based off of my research and an article in the Baltimore Banner, it said that the founders of Red Emma's had helped uh, Common Ground transition to that worker uh, owner model. Uh, and so I'm wondering, what are the challenges of going from a worker to a worker owner in the time span that you did? Like when you're an employee, they're like, mm -hmm. fill out your W-2, here's your schedule. Mm -hmm. But now you are making the schedule. <laughs> so can you just talk about some of those challenges? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the two month period, I guess, of us being like laid off to like reopening as work, worker owners. Uh, probably from the outside looks like a very short amount of time for anything like that to happen. Um, and so it's definitely a lot going on there, but for, I guess from our end, it really felt like it was forever. Like, I mean, it was every day. It was like having a meeting, doing something, trying to you know get updates and organizing. And uh, so it was just a lot of, a lot of effort going into that. And also of course, like the crucial support, like you mentioned from Red Emma's, uh, other local co-ops who really um, came through to help us and share their experiences. Uh, and then I think most critically from uh, the Baltimore Roundtable for Economic Democracy, which is an organization that was created through uh, Red Emma's or the founders of Red Emma's to help support other cooperatives uh, developing in Baltimore. Uh, and so working with them was really important. They sort of guided us through the process of like, what are you know the steps to worker ownership? What kind of structures do we want to build in the internal culture? And really helped us with all of that aspect of it. The part of like running the business, you know, we already knew. We are the workers. We've been working there for years, and we know how to like run our place. But the aspects of like you know legal stuff and uh, all of that back end stuff that was something that was a learning process for sure. Um, and so I think like. Part of that also kind of gets into the challenges. 
Um, so the like biggest challenge I would say for us is just the lack of overall like structural support um, that we have, like not just in the city, but also like in the US as a whole, like there's not a lot of support for worker cooperatives in the same way there's not a lot of whole support for, uh, for unions in general um, in terms of like the government support and uh, bigger like structural support. Um, we had to get that support from our community, from other co-ops, from bread, people doing independent work. Um, and so, and so that's, uh, that was a big challenge, I think. Um, it's not something that can't be overcome. There are other like models in the world. Um, I think like Cuba is a really great example of a country that has like these structural supports that uh, support co-ops and they have that reflected in like a higher amount of cooperatives. Whereas here in the US, I think there's only like a little over 600 out of like 35 million businesses. Wow, that's a pretty staggering number. Um, I know that this wasn't in the uh, questions that I sent over and it might be a little bit controversial, but in your journey to this worker-owned uh, model or also just getting over that hump of essentially being out of a job, I, I did see that um, the councilwoman for the district that Common Ground is in, Odette Ramos, she was very supportive, but in your experience, was it like cosmetic support or could you actually call on her for assistance and she would say hey I'll put y'all in touch with like certain resources yeah I think um, Odette Ramos was very supportive of us from the beginning and um, several of us had you know talked with her before like knew her at other community organizing events and things and uh, she was definitely someone we could email and uh, get a little bit of input, some resources, but I think just the resources that, you know, she's able to offer are limited in themselves. Um, so that's kind of like more the issue, not the, that she doesn't want to help, of course, but, you know, it's limited in what I think they, the city can offer as a whole for us. Yeah, I'd also like to chime in too that uh, Odette Ramos was really supportive of our union too. Um, she'd been around the store for a while before we'd been public with it. Um, during the pandemic, she, uh, this is, I wasn't at the store at the time, so this has all been conveyed to me, but she was really concerned for us about not having things like PPE as like early days of the pandemic. And we also had at least one rally in front of the store where she actually came and it was like a rainy, cold day and she stood out there with us all day. So she was very supportive of us as well. Awesome, that's fantastic to hear. Um, it's always good to, have a public official or civil servant who is there to actually serve the yeah. people. So yeah. shout out to um, shout out to her. Um, and my final question for you, Neek, now that Common Ground is employing this worker owner model, and when I was when I was writing the questions for this and I come up with the title, I said a coffee shop's guide to starting a union, but then I thought to myself like do they really have a union? So uh, now that Common Ground is a worker-owned uh, uh, business, is there really a need for a union since that business model inherently puts the, the needs of the employees first since they are the ones who are kind of facilitating and helping grow the business? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. It's something I definitely like had to think a lot about and like talk with some other union organizers and co-op, like people who have cooperative experiences uh, and cooperatives that have unions, they, they do definitely exist. Um, and one of like our, I guess, inspirations or um, an example of like a similar situation was a uh, another 
or co-op on the uh, west coast called slow bloom coffee that um was also like a union originally and then they became a cooperative after it shut down uh and they remained like unionized uh, afterwards um so it definitely can be a thing but i think it really just depends on the particular cooperative structure that you have which you know many co-ops just look very different internally um but um, I guess just like a, at a baseline, like, you know, unions are there to like organize workers fight on their behalf or fight f against like, you know, the boss and like try to increase like work, better work conditions. Um, but I think our structure, um, it's more like we're kind of like a union without a boss, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we're, um, we're, we're still, we still kind of see ourselves as common ground workers united even after all of this. And um, in our particular structure, all of everyone is on track to become a worker owner. So there isn't like a permanent class of like employees and then worker owners. Like everyone is meant to be a worker owner and everyone on that level uh, is paid the same, gets the same benefits, uh, one worker, one vote uh, on, in terms of decision making as well. So. Uh, it works out so that I don't think uh, in our case um, it's necessary having like a whole separate like entity um, that's like the same people doing the same thing. Um, but I think we're still like an like a, a, another part of like the labor struggle with unions uh, and working alongside fighting for the same things. Uh, maybe not with a boss internally, but you know we have like bigger power structures also in society that we have to kind of deal with. Okay, and that um, leads me to you, Will. Uh, as I mentioned before, you work at the Moms in Hamden, and you uh, successfully helped the employees there uh, unionize because y'all felt that you know the treatment you were receiving from management and the overall corporate structure was not extremely beneficial. Um, I think. Even when we look at current events and talk about, you know, the UAW or Kaiser Permanente or even Apple, you know, Apple and Towson, uh, I believe they had voted to form a union as well. Um, you know, everybody kind of goes on Wikipedia and looks up stuff, but I'd like to hear it from somebody who was there on the ground. Um, can you talk about the exact strategy and tactics you and your comrades had used to beat that corporate machine? Yeah, well, the first one was actually, in the early part, it was secrecy. Um, unlike uh, Common Ground, we didn't unionize with ourselves. We worked with an outside union. We, we organized with the Teamsters. And they were really good in the build-up organization for everything. And one of the things they were, they were big on was that basically, like, in the very early stages, which I wasn't a part of, so this is all going to be uh, stuff that was conveyed to me over time, but... Basically, at the start, you only tell the people who need to know, and you gradually build up your base outside of that. Um, and so when we filed with the NLRB, it came as a complete surprise to management, because basically, through the secrecy, management in the company really had no idea this was even going on until it was kind of on their doorstep. And it was actually really paramount that it be done that way, because uh, I don't want to name the person, but there was one person who actually tried to organize our store itself previously uh, who I think was not as secretive about it and they were just let go pretty much as soon as the company knew about it before anything could get off the ground. This was I think probably about five or six years ago and so 
the people who worked there already knew how the company had dealt with people who'd done that before. And uh, once we got going, uh, the hardest thing for us was communication because we're a fairly big store. There's including management, 95 to 100 employees there at any given time, and there's a lot of turnover and people coming and going. So we had a Discord server that was used for a lot of the communication with things. Um, it also became kind of a problem because, you know, with that many people, there's like a lot of noise and a lot of complaining and, you know, keeping people focused on like, hey, I'm pissed off too, but like, let's try to be productive and try to keep it going with that. Um, so really like the main tool was like a combination once we were out they couldn't really do a whole lot to stop it we just kept quiet they brought in big union busters um i don't know how much they cost the company but i know it was a lot um they were real slick um and moms does a really good job of hiring really educated people for a fairly uneducated job and so we all saw through it pretty much immediately and then once we got the vote in and once we were official uh, we were very fortunate in that store level management was more or less whether they could say it or not behind us because a lot of the people who actually organized myself included were actual we're former management uh, the company is hard on everybody it's not just hard on its lower level people and so um, people like me were able to get information from everywhere. But essentially, one, we, there was a, we got lucky and store level management didn't really want to do anything to us. Um, from what I understand at the Timonium location, which also unionized kind of not with us, but alongside us, that was not the case. And they had a lot, and continue to have a lot more trouble with management. But um, mostly it was just perseverance and a few of us just trying to do our damnedest <laughs> to get the constant influx of new people involved. Also, uh, actually a big shout out to Red Emma's too, because they, um, in a really kind of deep moment in us, they gave us a space to have a really big meeting to get all of our new people on board, um, which was really crucial because we were all really struggling just to get people to know what we were about. Um, so for us, it was the tool was mostly engagement with people. That was more than anything what it was. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of this question as you were uh, talking, and I would like both of your, I guess, takes or opinions on it. It seems like for both of these uh, journeys, perseverance was kind of the name of the game. Yeah. But did either of you ever have a point where you're just like, you know, maybe I'm starting to regret this decision, or you know, this is this is like taking longer than than I than I anticipated, and like, when is it going to be over? So, did y'all ever have thoughts of like yeah. throwing in the towel? Oh yeah, yeah. Our uh, from our from start to finish, uh, from when we actually voted to form the union, and from when we concluded negotiations, it was well over a year, and. Um, of the original negotiation committee, we have a lot of, our, our final committee was committed and our original committee was committed, but I'm the only one who stuck through it the whole way. And yeah, there was a lot of wanting to throw in the towel. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so sick of it when we were done with it. Uh, I, I don't regret it, but it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I think probably the biggest point for me was like during our union drive, there, w there was a moment where 
we were definitely like getting to a high point, but it was getting pretty stressful at the same time. And one of our like core organizers, I think was just kind of frustrated, but also over, you know, dealing with a lot of like personal stuff and like work and all that. And that, you know, that comes into play and sometimes you just can't uh, do both like trying to survive and trying to like organize and, um, and so, you know, that person dropped out of the organizing and that was like a moment where I was like very much like just worried about like how it was going to go. Like if we, if we were going to succeed or if this was just going to be something that's going to draw out for a long, long time before we really get the support that we need. Um, luckily it did start to turn around, um, after that, but, um, definitely like moments like that are really stressful. Yeah, actually, I think uh, any more than anything the company did, people leaving for any number of reasons, like good reasons, bad reasons, that was actually harder to deal with than anything the company did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so getting back to your uh, journey, Will, it, actually, I want to ask these questions out of order uh, sure. because when you were talking about it, it kind of brought it back up into my mind. Uh, for your process of, of bringing mom to the negotiation table and successfully unionizing through that entire year-long process, were you more worried about like management and the the union busters, or were were you kind of like you know side-eyeing some people that said that they were with you, but you're like, are you really with me? Um. No, I, that that actually stuck out to me because I, I realized that there's probably a lot of that in a lot of other union drives where you're suspicious of your coworkers or maybe people like start to turn sides or things like that. And there definitely was conflict among the team before we voted. Um, there were some people who genuinely claimed to understand and very disingenuously claimed to not understand and I think at that time maybe there was some divided loyalties um, but once we were again like one, once we had voted the union in and you know we're all officially teamsters um, there wasn't really a whole lot of union busting that anybody could do so in terms of like loyalties if people weren't in it they just didn't they just didn't hang, you know? It wasn't like they were, like, going to try to, like, rat us out or anything. Because at that point, like, you know who we are. Like, we've, we've, put our, we've put our paper down on the table. We said, this is what we want. Um, this is who's going to represent us. There isn't really, like, a whole lot to betray in terms of, like, giving somebody up. Um, I mean... I... It definitely stressed some friendships between some people, like especially like there's one or two people who I work with who I still respect and care for, but um, really stressed my relationship with them. Because um, what I found wasn't so much that loyalty was the issue, but a lot of people just don't see the benefit into them and they don't want to see it because they've committed to a sort of ideology of I don't support this or this is bad and it's more like a toxicity that I think is more that I found more the problem like a sort of like idea of we're not getting anywhere or we're giving up too much um, and you know it, it was very slow and it did take a lot so you know those kinds of attitudes can be really harmful because it's not entirely wrong 
you know, it's, it's a process with a lot of compromise and if people see the compromise as like giving in, if you know what I mean, I think that, that can spread to everybody else and then people can sort of see it as like, well, what's the point and just tune out, you know? And so with that, were there times where you or anybody else kind of had to pull someone aside or kind of re-rally the troops and boost morale and say, hey, I, I know that we might be giving something up, but we're not giving everything up or we have to be realistic and understand that compromise is part of the process. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I had to do a lot of that because the contract that we wound up um, voting on, a lot of that represented a final offer on the part of the company, you know, and it was a really tough spot because, uh, you know, it's kind of weird saying some of the stuff in public because it's been so quiet about the stuff for a long time, but we kind of like, if we had, if we voted that down, you know, the most likely thing seemed to be that the company would vote, would move to decertify the union. And nobody was really too confident in how that would go because it had been a solid year since we'd done this and so many, there was only like a few of us kind of like long timers who were left in it. I think there's six or seven people still working there who like started this thing. Um, and you know, the company would have dangled a bunch of carrots in front of all the new people saying like, hey, we'll give you this stuff. You don't have to vote for the union, you know, put it down. So like, strike or no, I don't think, there, we were a bunch of new people who didn't even know what was going on. It just started up there. So it wasn't really a possibility. And ultimately, the contract that we voted for was a pretty tough one. And I went back and forth with it a couple of times. And, you know, fortunately, you know, uh, our local is really good people. And they basically said, you know, well, however you want to go with this, we'll back you on it. Because they weren't trying to sell it to us as anything other than it was, which was a final offer. Um, and my opinion that I came to on it was basically that we're better off with this than without us. Um, I also think that thinking outside of the store too, having more places be unionized um, is just kind of better for everybody. And with the timing of us, we kind of came on as like the first wave of all these people that unionized. You know, we'd been at it for a year when we were public, but you know, Apple Store, uh, Amazon, not Amazon, uh, Apple, not, not Apple Store, but uh, Starbucks, that's the big oh, one. Yeah. We kind of wound up going public at around the same time, but it was unrelated. And so out of all these places, they're all kind of starting to falter seemingly. And I thought it was important that we stay strong. So I, I did have to, I didn't sell it to anybody. You know, I just phrased it as to what it was. But yeah, there was, there. it wasn't so much getting people like to be not negative about it, but just for people to see it for what it was. And... We, we voted in favor of it. I believe the vote was something like, it was around 85 to 90% in favor. So, you know, ultimately everybody else saw it the same way. Well, not everybody, but most people. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break and when we return, the live show continues. I'm Jason V, this is Local Color. Stay with us. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Here's the second half of my live show with Neek Koski of Common Ground and Will Swanson of Moms in Hamden. When we, when we have these conversations and talk about unionizing and listen to it in the news and on NPR and, and all those other outlets, 
we have an idea of like, okay, we're unionized, like, great. But my question to you is like, what comes next or how is moms now? Are the changes that you wanted to see, are they being enacted as quickly as you had anticipated? Or do you feel like there's still more waiting? Or do you feel like you're, you're planting a tree whose, whose shade you're not gonna sit in? Yeah, that, that actually, I, I, when, you, when I read that, that really spoke to me, because it's, in a way, it is kind of how I feel about it. Um, as far as, like, the short term, I really don't know, because, I mean, this is new for me, too. I've, I've never organized a, a place I worked in, you know, so it's, it's uh, and our company is not one that likes outside influence. You know, it's very cultish, and so the fact they have to do this is, uh, politics aside, is difficult for them. This is not something they're u accustomed to doing. Um, I don't. It, it, we're, we're uh, frankly, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But I think that there's going to be a lot of growing pains for both sides because you know we had to make a lot of compromise to get the things that we wanted. Like a big one. Um, that I'm actually really proud of getting it in, into the contract, but it was a guarantee of hours for full-time people. Um, in order to get that, you do have to have a pretty substantial commitment to your availability. But I wanted to make sure that you didn't have to give up your whole weekend to do it, um, and that you didn't have to completely be totally available at all times. And we got that, but again, the commitment on the employee side is, is pretty high for that. Um, and so a lot of people are going to have to make a lot of decisions on whether they want to like pursue that. Because uh, with the current store management, I don't really foresee any real retaliatory stuff coming down the line. But when I say retaliatory, I mean within the scope of the contract, you know. Um, but they could change up management, you know, whenever they want to. and. Uh, I think the company overestimates how loyal people are to them, even in management, but it still is, uh, it's still a possibility. So we don't know. Um, I mean, the best I can say is our local has our backs with this, and while I'm there, I'm not going to, at least I'm gonna do my best to not let anything happen like that. But ultimately, it's kind of, we don't know, you know? We're, we're counting on a small corporation to behave ethically, you know? So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and really quick, because I also did want to get your take on that, Neek. Um, when you're going to work now, do you, do you feel like any weird hostility or like, you know how sometimes it's like, oh, the vibes are off, like the energy has changed? Has the energy changed when you're at mom's? Were you asking me or were you asking Nick? Oh, yeah, I was asking Oh, oh I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I feel a lot better, honestly. Um, so on a personal level, yeah, I've got a, a big weight off my back. I've noted, I, see, I, I don't know whether it's people really being relieved by it um, or whether it's me seeing it, but I definitely notice people are kind of more engaged with the place than they have been in a while. Um, because the contract that we got, we didn't really, it's not one for the history books, so to speak, because again, a lot of it is a final offer from the company and 
the parts that are a final offer reflect that, basically. Um, so for a lot of the veterans, it's kind of long term, they'll decide whether they want to do it or not. But people are a lot more engaged with the workplace as a whole. Um, I've noticed a lot more kind of talk between people. And I've, I've also been, I, I've, I've been handling a lot of the applications and all that because, you know, since we're working with, you know, a large national union, we have large national union paperwork to deal with. And I've, the people who have been like really eager to sign up have been actually people who have, I've been really happy to see and people who have surprised me. You know, some people who I thought I was going to have to chase down and be like, come on, dude, it's the condition of employment. We've all got to fill it out, you know, um, have been the people who have like come to me to get the applications, um, which is, is really encouraging. And I, I hope that's a sign of things to come. And uh, yeah, uh, for Unique, um even though you are actively participating in this, the, the worker owner model for Common Ground, and as somebody who's been there, you like you know the ins and outs of the business. Do you do you feel like, on a certain level, you won't be able to reap the maximum amount of benefits for that? Like you're gonna have to come back there in 15 years and then like see how you left it and and hope that. Uh, hope that like the, the choices that you made are working for the people who are currently there? Um, well, I guess um, in terms of like, I guess seeing the, the benefits of the change, like for my experience, it's been, it's kind of been like an immediate thing almost because like we, we don't have like the same barriers that you have like in a usual like union drive where it's like you're trying to negotiate with a boss and usually there's like a whole like, you know, year long process or something doing like bargaining and all that. But like for us, all it takes is uh, we talk about, you know, an issue or something we want to change in one of our committees. The next week, we bring it up to our workers' council. We vote on it, and it passes, and then it, it just happens. Uh, and so, like, we can, you know, do anything from like changing our wages to uh, adding on benefits, or you know, whatever makes sense for the business. And like, also taking into account, like, okay, where are we at? Like, with financially, what can we realistically afford? And it doesn't have to be like a struggle for it to happen because we can just make it happen if if it's realistic. And usually you know, worker benefits and increased wages are realistic. It's just, it's, uh, it's actually a lot more realistic when you're not like paying, you know, a manager or a, a distant owner, uh, a, you know, a huge salary and they're not really contributing as much as like the day-to-day -day people who are like on the floor and making a difference. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the final question that I have for both of you um, about, 15 years ago or so, uh, Adult Swim aired a show called The Boondocks. I don't know if y'all have ever watched it before, <laughs> uh, but it's one of my favorite animated <laughs> TV shows. And in the first episode of the second season, uh, it deals, the, an aspect of that episode deals with unionization. Huey's going to movie theater with his, his uh, family and their next door neighbor, Jasmine. And when he hears one of the employees talking about how he gets treated at the movie theater, he's like, hey, you should just form a union. Like, oh, it's simple, right? And then fast forward to the end of the episode, he catches up with that same employee, and the, the guy's like packing his bag and leaving, and Huey's like, oh, you guys staged a walkout like that quickly? 
And he's like, oh, no, once corporate learned what was happening, they fired us and closed down the, uh, the movie theater. Uh, and y'all have talked about it and, and alluded to it, but I, I just want to ask this question again. What are some of the unseen perils of going on this journey? Obviously, for really both of you, your jobs were at stake, and you talked about some of the issues or like the, 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 the endurance that it takes, but what are some other unseen perils or unseen roadblocks that people have to prepare for if they're going to embark on this journey? Uh, and then, uh, Nick, if you'd like to start, you can. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely always gonna be risks when you're trying to challenge like this system that is antagonistic towards us as workers. Uh, that's just, you know, reality that uh, if we're gonna try and make a change that we have to, you know, think carefully about, think about what the risks are. And in that case, like with the, the episode you're talking about, um, you know, it was like an issue of like the management found out. And I think uh, Will like talked a little bit about like, you know, having to be uh, secretive and like talking about and organizing. And so you just have to be uh, strategic and um, very careful when you're like taking those risks and especially in your organizing and like really uh, getting people on board and um, and just yeah, being careful about it is a big a big part and um, kind of knowing what you're doing doing and not just like taking it lightly because it is it's you know it can put you at risk it can put your coworkers at risk um, and you know in our, our case a common ground you know that situation did happen where we all got fired uh, because. Yeah, well, <laughs> won't speculate, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, so, but, but I think because we were organized and um, after that still, and, you know, persistence that, uh, you know, it, it, the taking on that risk was, uh, I think, better, like the, the rewards of that were higher than, you know, whatever, you know, perils we saw, you know, losing our jobs. That's something that happens, you know, everybody, regardless if you're organizing or not, you can lose your job just mm -hmm. out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. uh, for doing nothing. Uh, but even doing a really good job, just lose your job. Um, but, you know, if you're organizing, you have a, a chance of securing something even better, uh, not just for yourself, but for, you know, future people to come into that workplace. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said there. Um, and I know that you said, you know, other than perseverance for this but I, I honestly that's really it's not like the pitfall is not so much like perseverance but it's it's like an none of us who started this expected this to when i say started this i mean moms specifically um and uh expected this to go on for anywhere near as long as it did you know we thought and the teamsters thought you know we'd be done in a couple of months you know tops they're used to getting these things open shut done you know and instead moms hires three of the most, ex like, three very well-regarded union-busting lawyers, and we're in this for a year, and uh, winding up in that situation is something that was completely unexpected and extremely difficult, and pretty much everybody who was, you know, deeply involved in this, who who left, and not, not everybody did, but enough people did that it's worth mentioning that, it was ultimately a lot of that that really caused them to leave it. And I can't blame them because, you know, ultimately we all 
we all wanted to see this through to the end, but I, you know, none of us saw a year-long fight in the works on this, and including, I, I think, you know, the Teamsters. Um, we all thought this would be done in a couple of couple of weeks. And the funny thing is, like, losing our jobs, kind of similar. Like, that was never really that big of a. I never saw that as much of a risk because I think a lot of us wind up in jobs like, you know, working in grocery stores or working in cafes as either something transitional between maybe one thing or another or something that, you know, you go from one job to the next to the next. So, like, if I lose this job, that's going to suck for a while. But, I mean, like, ultimately I'll find something else and just move on past that. So, you know, losing the job is, is really most of the things that the companies think that we're afraid of, I think are really not the things that wind up being the things that are the things we're afraid of. And I don't want to like tell them too much for, you know, these things to come up, but it's really the, I guess the, I would say the stuff that you don't expect is really what gets you, you know, you, you can't foresee it. Gotcha. Uh, so those are all the questions that I have before we finish up. Um, can each of you just like, plug the pluggables, tell people how they can learn more or if they've never been to Common Ground, like where it is, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Common Ground is located in Hamden neighborhood of Baltimore, so we're, we're pretty close by, um, just like other side of Hopkins pretty much. Um, and we, we are on like social media, so Instagram, Common Ground Workers is where we make like most of our regular posts. Also on Facebook, uh, Common Ground Cafe Cooperative. Um, and then, yeah, website and stuff. But, yeah, that's kind of the main stuff. Yeah, and uh, Mom's Organic Market is also in Hamden. Our, our location is there. It's in the Rotunda. Um, I don't want to plug the company too hard because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I like working there, but ultimately, like, you know, it doesn't get me or my coworkers anything. But we have a lot of cool customers, and we like to have more cool people to come in and talk to us. And anybody who wants to come in and say, hey, is a-okay with me? And I think I can speak for everybody I work with on that. Awesome. Well, Will Swanson of Moms in Hamden and Neat Koski of Common Ground, also in Hamden. Uh, thank you so much for your time and telling your stories. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so course, much. Of course. That was Neek Koski and Will Swanson. If you're in Hamden, stop by Moms or Common Ground to support your local laborers. They couldn't have done it without you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by Your Public Studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at WYPR.org.